Genesis. And so we are in Genesis chapter 7. We will do, hopefully we can cover chapter 7 and chapter 8 tonight. Genesis chapter 7 and chapter 8. That's our goal. That's our intent. That's what we're striving for. So we can cover Genesis chapter 7 and chapter 8. And hopefully the Lord will help us tonight and bless us tonight. Genesis chapter 7, we will start reading in verse 1. Remember, um, Moses is the writer of Genesis. He was the one that took the notes from the Lord. Right? So Moses is the one that wrote Genesis. And so we've been covering various topics in Genesis. What we will end up covering tonight is more about the life of Noah and the generation of his sons. Um, we'll cover a lot about the flood and the saving of Noah and his family. So we'll cover some topics tonight that is essential. Always remember, as you read the Word of God, um, God operate by principles. And so some of the things that he has done in the past, you will see similarities to them even now because God operate by principles. He operate um, in a way that he does. God's got a way. How many know you have a personality and a character and you normally do things a certain way because of who you are? Okay, we're, we were made in the image of God, so we will um, be like our Father in that way, that who we are, our, our personality, our character will cause us to kind of approach everything kind of the same way because it's who we are. I'll give you an example of that is, I, was, I don't know where I was having this conversation, but I said to somebody, do you understand that when um, God changes your life, he said he changes name. He changes um, your name when he changes, when, when you get saved. And, and I was saying, listen, he doesn't change your name per se from Chuby to another name. But what he does when, he, when, I, when I say he changes your name is what people used to think about when they said your name before you came to Christ is something different that they think about now after you've come to Christ. Your name is really changed. So while your birth certificate still say Chuby, while your birth certificate still say the name that you were born with, what people used to think about when your name, uh, went before you came to Christ, is not what they're thinking about when you come to Christ. So you get a name change when you come to God. Because your name means more than just what it says. You know, Wayne Wyatt. That's my name, but my name means more than that. It brings my identity. It brings who I am. Same for you. So when somebody think of your name, what are they thinking? Well, it's the same thing with God, the way he does things. This is why we can figure out at times what he's trying to tell us is because his character, who he is and how he does things really don't change. He, he keeps certain principle all the time when he does things. So we will see a lot of his principles back then, and then you'll move forward and see that it's still, he's still doing it the same way today. Genesis chapter 7, verse 1. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. The Lord, as we know, told Noah was to build an ark. And when the ark was completed, 
and God was getting ready to let the rain begin to come, he told Noah, it's time now, Noah. It's time to come inside the ark. For, but, but, but this is important. He says, for thee, for you, Noah, have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Very powerful statement right there. Noah's first encounter with God was showing him grace. God showed him grace. Remember, I think it's uh, uh, chapter 6 where it says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Remember that? But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So Noah went from finding grace in the eyes of the Lord to now being called righteous. Okay. So we see God calls him righteous. Let me give you a formula that you want to write down. Write this formula down. Grace plus faith plus obedience equal righteousness. Grace plus faith plus obedience equals righteousness. Let me break it down for you. God gives us grace. So he's given us opportunities that we don't deserve. He's given us favors that we don't deserve. That's grace. But when you get that grace, that favor that you don't deserve, you need faith now to operate in your life. Okay? Faith now means I'm going to trust God. Faith now means I'm going to believe God. Faith now means I understand who he is. And so you experience grace. But now you need faith to operate. And if you allow faith to operate, your response should be obedience. We can't say we have faith and we don't obey God. But if you have faith, you will obey God. And the Bible says, and it was counted unto Abraham. I think that's Romans chapter 4. It was counted unto Abraham for righteousness. Why? Because he believed God. He obeyed God. When we obey God, we're demonstrating faith. So grace is what we first experience. We get in favor from God that we don't deserve. But once we understand that, we're supposed to now operate in faith in response to that grace. And because we're operating in faith, we will now become obedient to God. Because faith means I know who God is. And I trust Him. I believe Him. So I'm going to obey Him. But because of all of those things, that's how you become righteous. Not because you're righteous, but you follow after what God has laid out. That's what makes you righteous and me righteous. It's not because we can do anything to be righteous. So, Genesis chapter 7, verse 1. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. The other thing that we must realize is, only those that were righteous went into the ark. Verse 2. Of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by seven, that's pairs, seven pairs. Some people say, ah, I meant seven. 
I said pairs because he went on to say two by two. So of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens, the male and his female, and of beasts that are not clean by two, the male and the female. So he told them what he was supposed to take. Now I will tell you this um, just to kind of give you some information. Uh, clean beasts and unclean beasts, clean beasts, um, animals, just stick with that for now. Um, they have a split in their hooves. Cow, sheep, lamb, goat, deer, etc. They're clean beasts, clean animals. Unclean animals, pigs, boars, camel, horse, donkey, etc. Of course, none of this matter today because we are no longer living under the law. We are living under the disp- dispensation of grace, right? So it doesn't matter. But back then, that's what was considered clean and unclean. I will also make mention of this, that uh, Noah wasn't, I know he was brilliant, but he wasn't brilliant enough to lead all those animals into the ark by himself. God is just so amazing that nature responds to him. Animals respond to him. So God orchestrated where those beasts and animals begin to go into the ark at the appointed time when God says, Noah, it's time to go in the ark. Verse 3, of fowls also of the air by sevens, the male and the female, to keep seed alive upon the face of all the earth. For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights. And every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. And Noah did according to... And Noah did according unto all that the Lord commanded him. You see that? Clear obedience. Verse 6. And Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters was up on the earth. That is important to make note of. Because you'll see later on that that was telling us something right there. Noah was 600 years old. That will tell you when the flood started and when the flood ended. So make note that the flood started when Noah was 600 years old. You'll see when the flood ended. And Noah went in and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Of clean beasts and of beasts that are not clean and of fowls and of everything that creepeth upon the earth. There went in two and two unto Noah into the ark, the male and the female, as God had commanded. It was God that led the creatures inside that ark. And it came to pass, verse 10, after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were open. A couple of things I want to make, mention there. Stop generalizing God. God is so specific that we better be careful how we decide to live for him. Because we like to live for God in, 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 in a general sense. Oh, you know, it's nothing wrong. 
Go back to the word. God is specific in things that he does. So we better be specific in the things that we do. Why are we doing what we do? Show me scripture. Show me why we're doing it. Because God always lay out clear instructions. He doesn't make it gray area. God doesn't leave anything in the gray area. He is specific. And he laid this thing out. Now, one of the things I want you to pay attention to, he says, um, the same, same um, verse, uh, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up. So water, you will understand, came from the ground and water came from heaven. So it rained from heaven and water sprung up from the earth to cause the flood. Verse 12, and the rain was upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. In the selfsame day entered Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah and Noah's wife. And the three wives of his sons with them into the ark. They and every beast after his kind and all the cattle after their kind. And every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And every fowl after his kind. Every bird after every bird of every sort. And they went in unto Noah into the ark to and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. And they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Now, if you've been doing your reading, I hope you're doing your reading, you're still doing your reading, your daily reading. If you've been doing your reading, you'll, you'll probably got like me at some point sometimes, like, why is the Bible keep repeating this? Why is it repeating it? Didn't they say that already? Why are you saying that? You know, we got to take hints. That's just God is trying to instill something in us. Make us understand he does things in order. And he just keeps laying the order out for us. Keeps repeating it so we understand it. So we, we got to realize why he's doing that so we can get it. All right? And the Lord shut him in. So the Lord was the one that shut the... The, the door of the ark, as we know, and that's significant to know, significant to know. You know, I've always said, you know, I'm sure they were pregnant ladies. I'm sure they were old ladies. I'm sure they were crippled people. I'm sure there were all kinds of people that if Noah was at the ark of the door and he was responsible to shut it, he probably would have said, oh, let's wait for this old lady. Oh, let's wait for this lady. She's pregnant. Oh, let's. Now. We don't understand all of this, but what we better realize is I'm sure there were good people back then, too, that never got in the ark. You know, we try to, we got to show both sides of God. And while he's loving and affectionate, guess what? He needs us to obey him. And sometimes we just want to go with, oh, God loves us so much. And, well, guess what? We might not understand it. I know Brother D understands it. But the bottom line is this. If you don't obey God, you get punished. Don't we do that as parents? So somehow we want to feel like God because he went on the cross that he loves us so much that he will overlook everything. Well, as I said, pregnant ladies. Old ladies, children, they didn't get in the ark. Now, you take that up with Jesus and ask him, how can he be so cold? Go ask him that. God, how you let those people not get in the ark? 
and he's going to tell you, I had my servant preach for 120 years. 120 years my servant was preaching to them. They didn't listen. Verse 17, and the flood was 40 days upon the earth, and the waters increased and bare up the ark, and it was lift up above the earth. And the waters prevailed and were increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark went upon the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail and the mountains were covered and all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of the fowl and of the cattle and of the beasts and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth and every man, all in whose nostril was the breath of life of all that was in the dry land, died. God has given us a glimpse of what's to come. So we can, we, can, we can try to make ourselves feel good and say, man, we serve a gracious God. We serve a loving God. We serve a forgiving God. We do. But guess what? The gospel has been preached to us for a long time now. It's only left for us to just obey it. And every living substance was destroyed, which was up on the face of the ground, both man and cattle and the creeping things and the fowl of the air and the fowl of the heavens. And they were destroyed from earth and Noah only remained alive. And they that were with him in the ark and the waters prevail upon the earth. And 150 days. So everybody gone. Everybody gone. Only the eight people now in the ark was alive. Everything that was in existence no longer exists. That's going to happen again. The question is that we have to ask ourselves, will we obey God and get in the ark? Because that's the only way we're going to escape it. We got to get in the ark. Any questions so far? No questions? Everybody good? Straightforward? All right. Chapter 8, verse number 1. And God remembered Noah. Interesting portion of scripture. And every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark, and God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters assuaged. Anybody want to tell me what it means where God remembered Noah? Can God forget anything? So why is the scripture saying he remembered Noah? If he can't forget, Sister Phil. Okay. Oh, yeah? Okay. Brother Tom? Okay. Okay. Ah! <laughs> okay. You, you close. Yes, sir? 
covenant he had made with him? Okay. It was time to move the next part of the plan forward. That word remembrance, I wrote down a couple things. It meant mark. That word remembrance means recognized. That word remembrance means mentioned. So what it came down to was, it's time for the next part of the plan. So let me go deal with Noah. So, big lesson to learn. When God gives you some instructions, he's not coming back until you... When he gives you some instructions, he's not going to keep running back to you for nothing. Because he operates on obedience. This is the plan. Follow this. I get back at you. And he keeps moving. And the only time you're going to hear back from him again is when you complete what he says. Oh, and God remembered Daryl. What he's saying is, I'm coming back now because you did what I told you. Let me come back to you now to pick up where we left off. That's how we get God to recognize us. That's how we get God to mark us. Is when we obey and follow, when we complete what he has asked us to do, then here we go again. Let's go to the next part of the plan. So God remembered Noah. God can't forget. It wasn't that he just had to no. It was, all right, Noah, I'm recognizing that, that part of the plan. Okay, that's cool. Now let's talk about the next portion of it. The fountains also of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped and the rain from heaven was restrained. And the waters re- returned from off the earth continually. And after the end of the 150 days, the waters were abated. And the ark rested in the seventh month on the 17th day of the month upon the mountains of Ararat. Listen to this. Mount Ararat located or is located by or in Armenia. It's situated in the desert route of Africa and Asia. And the most direct, it's also, this is all situation. And so not only is it situated by the desert route from Africa to Asia, but also where it is also gives you a straight shot, a straight route into Europe. Strategic position to reestablish the human race. Remember how the human race got established. Yes, God created Adam. Eve in the garden did his thing. Cain and Abel and all that stuff. We know all of that. But remember the flood. And only eight people got saved. So God had to reestablish the generations. And so those eight people are now responsible to procreate throughout the world. But the way they were going to do it was to occupy the world. So that's why we read how we became a culture, how we became a certain kind of people, because that ark stopped right where God wanted it. So now how we were going to populate the world again, we would have a strategic position to start doing it. So we know a couple of the sons, well, um, one of the sons and his wife went to the European area. One of the sons and his wife went to Africa. 
one of his sons and his wife stayed within the Middle East and close to Asia. So that's where they started, again, repopulating the earth. God don't do anything by chance. So that ark stopped just where they needed to be to have a good position to go out again and start multiplying and populating the earth. God is just amazing. Same with the animals. Same thing. Same thing. Wherever we go, we've got the same kind of animals all over the world, right? God's hand is just working amazingly. And the waters decreased continually until the 10th month. In the 10th month of the first day of the month were the tops of the mountain seen. And it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. You ready for this? The Lord planned. This was my revelation today as I was studying. The Lord planned and designed the ark. But Noah and his family put it together. Remember what I said. Stuff from old. Same kind of principle in the new. Remember that we've talked about and studied proves that the ark is a typology and symbol of today's church. The ark represents the church. What does that mean? They couldn't escape the destruction of the world without being in the ark. Today we can't escape the destruction of this world to come without being in the church. Because Jesus says, I'm coming back for a church, not an individual. I'm coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle or any such. I'm coming back for a church. So, if you're not a part of the church, what's going to happen? Just like you weren't a part of the ark. His principles just continue to stay the same, but it's just in different dimensions. So, if we don't become a part of the church, this is why we've, we've talked about this. We can criticize all we want about the church. We can say whatever we want. And you've heard this preach many times. I've heard this preach up and down, back and forth, that the ark had to smell terrible because of all those animals in there. It had to be a mess sometimes. Well, so when you criticize the church, understand, standard, just like the ark was a mess, the church is a mess. But, did no one of them jump out the ark because it was a mess? <laughs> did, did they open the window and say, I got to go. This is just, I, I can't take this. Did they open the window and go? I can't take this. Where were they going? <laughs> well, the same principle is still working today. I know there's things that we're not going to like about the church, but where are you going? What are you going to do? Because that's the only place you can be to get raptured out of here in order to miss what's going to happen to this world. So while it might not smell good all the time, and while there's some issues to mess all this, you know, it's, sometimes, it's the only place we can be to escape the destruction that awaits this world. 
the only place. So we just got to make up our mind to deal with mess. That's what Noah and his sons had to deal with. That's what the wives had to deal with. Like this. I, after a while, you know what? They just got used to the smell, I'm sure. Right? After a while, I'm, they got used to the smell. Like, well, they probably named the animal and said, that's Dorothy taking one. She smelled worse than all the other ones. They got used to it. They never, they never, they never opened the window and jumped out. Because if you jumped out, you were going to your death. So understand the church will have some things that you're not approving of. The church will have some areas that you're like, oh, this is just a mess. But there is no other way to get to heaven. There's no other way. Yes? And so the ark is the type of the church. Here's another way, another thing that you must understand. Remember I said, God planned it, designed it, gave the blueprint for it. But no one in his family put it together. The church, Jesus gave the design. The church, Jesus died for it. The church, Jesus gave the blueprint. But we got to put it together. <laughs> he doesn't change. Same yesterday, today, and forever. So just like he gave Noah, you go through this, plenty of scripture. Noah, you got to get this kind of wood. You got you to you measure it this way. And he's giving specifics and specifics and specifics. And I'm like, oh, man, that's a lot of info. He broke it all down to Noah and said, Noah, this is what you got to do to put it together. Noah did it. Well, let's move forward in 2018. People, you got to worship. People got to be baptized in my name. The house of God is supposed to be a place where people come and experience my power. All of the things that we got to do, we got to be witnesses to people. We got to disciple people. We're the ones that's putting it together according to the blueprint. So we're in this with God together. This is, this is the thing that we're doing together. God has always designed it that we are with him in making it get done. He didn't do it all by himself, and he don't want to do it all by himself. He wants this to be a partnership. And so if we're going to be in the church, we're going to have to help to build the church. Now, the, the, the architect, the designer, the planner, it's God. Just like the tabernacle back in the wilderness. It's God. But the people have to put it together. Think about the tabernacle. And we'll get to that as we're studying through. But think about the tabernacle. Who put it together? Not God. But who gave the measurements? Who said what was supposed to be in it? So if we have any questions about what we're supposed to do in the church, we shouldn't have any questions. We are laborers together with him. That's what the word said. We are laborers together with him. And so we're helping to put what God has already put in place. We're, we're helping to get it going. That's what we're doing. And so as a church, we're supposed to be doing everything we need to to make sure what God has designed, what God has, has, has planned as the escape out of this world, we better work together to make sure we get it done. 
Because he didn't do it and say, all right, you don't have to worry about anything. I got it all done. He said, no, no, no. Here's the blueprint. I'm laying it all out so you understand. As a matter of fact, if you want to go look at the tabernacle, he gave, oh, man, he gave, I can't remember the guy's name. Every time I read his name, I smile. He gave this guy what he says. He endowed him with wisdom on how to make certain things. That's just what it's telling you. All of us got stuff that we have to do to make this work. This is why I'm so convinced about what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you? Because we all have a role to play to make sure what God has designed and planned, it get executed. He doesn't, he doesn't change that plan. He's done that from the very beginning till today. I go back in the garden. What did he do? He, he caused the trees to grow, the grass to grow, and he did everything. Then he says, Adam, take care of it. He never just leave us to do nothing. He includes us in his plan. He includes us in the design. He includes us in what he's doing. And then we come to church and we don't want to do anything. <laughs> That's not the will of God. We have to get involved to help this thing move along because that's the way he operates. We're in it together. He does the hard part and we do the other part. That's amazing, isn't it? Can't mess with the Lord. Can't, I just, I love to study his word. There is so much in the word that helps you to keep on understanding and keep moving forward. And it's amazing. Dude. His, his way of being. This is why I said study God's tendencies, his ways. And anytime you encounter everything, anything in your life, you will kind of know what direction to go in because you know God's ways. Remember one of the things I told you, if you don't know all the scripture, sometimes you, 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 you don't know what to do because you can't find the scripture for this. Ask yourself, how will this demonstrate the love of God? That's his ways. That's his character. That's who he is. So if you're stumbling and you don't know what to do and you feel like, man, I don't know what to do, ask yourself, how does this demonstrate the love of God? And you can't go by your feelings or how it's going. You just have to do what demonstrates the love of God because that will please God. That's his way. That's his character. That's who he is. So it's very important to study the ways of God. Verse 7, and he sent forth a raven which went forth the to and fro until the waters were dried up from off the earth. Also, he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot. And she returned unto him into the ark for the waters of the face of the whole earth. For, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. Then he put forth his hand and he took her and pulled her in unto him into the ark. A dove cannot land anywhere that's unclean. So Noah was pretty sharp to know, send a dove out because the stuff is a mess still outside. We can't leave the ark. And he stayed yet another seven days. And again, he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came into him in the evening and lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. 
So Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. And he stayed yet another seven days and sent forth the dove, which returned not again unto him anymore. Ready for this? Verse 13. And it came to pass in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark, and looked, and behold, year for this flood to happen and for the water to dry off. That's amazing. One whole year for the whole process to be completed. One whole year. And in the second month of the seventh and twentieth day of the month was the earth dried, and Noah spake, and God spake unto Noah, saying, Go forth of the ark, thou and thy wife and thy sons and thy sons' wives with thee. Let me tell you something about salvation. Finishing up here. Salvation is not just you being saved from destruction. Salvation is you being saved from destruction and being placed in a new life. So you're being called from out of destruction into a new life. That's salvation. Unfortunately, most people stop at just being saved from destruction. When if we read the children of Israel, because we're supposed to be reading, so it's clear in my mind. If we read them, we realize if all you want out of the deal is to be saved, you're going to go back to the old ways of being unsaved. You have to start that new life. So if all we depend on is my life was a mess and I was headed for destruction, but God saved me. And if that's where we stop, we're going to go back to that life again. It can't just be God saved me. He saved you from this to take you to this. Right? He saved you from this to take you to this. So if you get saved from this, but you never go to this, you'll probably go back to where he took you from. The children of Israel says, he brought us out of Egypt to kill us. <laughs> Every time you read that, you just shake your head like, would we probably have done that? Because that's just ridiculous. You know, they murmured and complained about everything. And you're like, whoa, whoa what's going on? But I keep saying to myself, we probably would have did the same thing. He saved you from out of destruction to bring you into this new life. So we need to start living this life. That's what he's expecting. I'm saving you from the destruction, but I want you to live this new life that I have in store for you. Live the life. Live the life. That's the process of salvation. Saving you from and bringing you into 17, bring forth with thee every living thing, bring forth, that is with thee of all flesh, both of fowl and of cattle and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, that they may breathe abundantly in the earth and be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. Us and the animals is supposed to breed, be fruitful and multiply 
And Noah went forth and his sons and his wife and his wife and his sons' wives with them. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every fowl, and whatsoever creepeth upon the earth after their kind went forth out of the ark. And Noah built an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offering on the altar. Lesson from that, always give thanks, praise, worship, and appreciation to God for all he has done. It may just grant you more favors from God. When you're unappreciative, unappreciative for what God has done, it might just be that's all you're going to get. But when you will make sure that you appreciate and worship and thank God for what he has done, it may grant you more favor. Why? Look at verse 21. And the Lord smelled a sweet Savior, because he built an altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet Savior. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, neither will I again smite any more, any more everything living as I have done. Listen, we as people are prone to evil, just doing evil. We're prone to that. If we don't have God, we're going to be evil. We're going to do evil things. And so God figure, you know what? You all are going to have that struggle no matter what. So, you know, it won't make a whole lot of sense for me to destroy you again because you're going to always have that issue. So he says, forget it. I won't destroy you for, doing, for having evil in your heart. Now it's just about will you get rid of your evil? Will you get delivered and start living from me? Or will you just continue to be evil? So here is scripture. I don't know if you remember that the wheat was planted and then uh, the devil came at night and planted tares among the wheat. Then the angel of the Lord said, should I just pluck up the wheat and leave the tear? And the Lord said, nope, let them grow together. Again, I'm just showing you how scripture just keep on being scripture and the ways of God keep being the ways of God. So God is saying, no need to destroy you all again for evil stuff. Some will be evil and some will be Noah. <laughs> some going to decide I'm going to serve the Lord and some are going to decide I don't care nothing about God. He says, I'm okay with that. I'll, I'll just let the wheat and the tear grow together. We'll get it together at some point. We'll work at it at some point in time. And God is still doing it today. And so we want everything to be roses, better roses, everything to be all right and looking good. But guess what? The wheat and the tare will grow together. But the great news is the wheat one day will be plucked up and the tare will stay right where it is. While the earth remaineth seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not Cease. This is the word of the Lord. Next week we'll pick up in chapter 9 and see again continually watching the ways of God. Any question, even if it's out the blues, any questions, anything that we went over that you 
um, would like to know more about, any thoughts that have floated through your mind as we were talking today that you wanted clarity on? Anyone? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Two things I'm going to tell you. Everything changed when Jesus ascended. Why? Because a will and testament cannot be executed while the person is living. So if you want to know the exact time of when we can start to say, what all changed? It all changed when Jesus ascended. Now the big change that you will read from old to new with the changes is um, moral laws and ceremonial laws are different. Ceremonial laws are spiritual things. Moral laws, obviously, is lying and stealing, fornication, adultery. Those are moral laws. So they stay in place. But ceremonial laws, they're different because it's a different way to worship God. So here is why it had to change anyway, as you go, get into it, is because one of the reasons for kind of saying clean and unclean, one of the reasons, not all the reasons, is that it will depend on what you will sacrifice unto the Lord. We don't have to sacrifice any more animals. So depending on your sin, that's, you know, some of the stuff we read and we're like, man, God, you're wearing me out with all this different law, right? Part of it was depending on the sin, depending on what you had to bring as a sacrifice. So that's why they made a distinction. God made a distinction of what was clean and what was dirty. Certain things you couldn't bring because that wasn't good, but certain things I need you to bring because that was worthy as a sacrifice. So since we no longer are doing sacrifice, that whole thing is gone with clean and unclean because that's where it first started with clean and unclean. Did I answer that? Brother Henry still go ahead, Brother Henry. You good? Okay. Mm-hmm. And I said when Jesus. At when Jesus ascended, when he went to heaven. That, that's when everything starts. That's when, as, as I said, the will and testament get executed is when the testator, the, the one that wrote the will of how things are supposed to be when he's no longer here, that's when it started, when he was no longer here. So here's a good example. You know the word. Remember one time the Pharisees say, your disciples don't fast. Jesus said, I'm the bridegroom. I'm here. They don't need to fast while I'm here. But when I'm gone, they don't need to fast. So everything started. The clock started 
with all the changes when Jesus ascended because now his law, per se, which is grace, had to do the talking because he was no longer here to back it up. And so even before then, remember the, the first five books um, tells you about kind of the law of, you know, of how everything needs to be established. So Moses wrote that. God gave him the Ten Commandments within the first five books. And so, again, in some respect, that was the law. So when he ascended, new law, which is grace, the Holy Spirit is working, the Word of God, Spirit and Word need to connect together. So that's when everything became official, when he ascended, in the book of Acts, when you read that. Yes. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah, my point was only that um, when God, when you start out reading, it said it rained 40 days, 40 nights. Right? So you think it rained 40 days, 40 nights, all right, the place got flooded. I mean, how long? Right? You know, that was 40 days, 40 nights of rain. Can it be just another 40 days, 40 nights for the rain to go away? So I'm thinking that, you know, this is kind of how our mind works as people. Okay, if it took 40 days and 40 nights for this flood, then maybe all I have is another 40 days, 40 nights for it to dry off. But it lasted a year. And I, and I wanted to point that out to just say, be careful how we walk with God, having expectations of thinking, okay, this is how long it probably will take for this to happen and for that to happen when we really don't know how long it's going to take. Now, that's the key, the trick to God. One of the things you'll study about him is he doesn't give you details of the in-between. He likes to tell you about a beginning and the end, but the in-between, he messes with you. You don't really know anything clearly. So just take it in stride that you never know how long whatever is going on with you and God. You don't know how long it's going to be. Yes, ma'am? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yes. So the, the, the way the world got flooded, the 40 days and 40 nights called the flood. And remember, one of the things we can't calculate that we don't experience in this day and age is it was water shooting up from below, too. So water shooting up from below, rain coming from the heavens, and the, the earth got flooded. And so 40 days and 40 nights, that's what I'm saying, that we got to be careful with God. 40 days, 40 nights. Why it took so long for it to dry up? Well, maybe the scientists and all these people probably know better than me that, you know, it, it did have to take that long. When you think about all the world, how it's situated, where Asia is, you know, where Africa is, you know, you know, um, Israel, you know, it's in the middle of the world. And so probably that's just where most of the water. Who knows? I don't know. But but the point is, I'm sure if I was Noah and his and his boys and their wives, all right, the rain is over. <laughs> That's how we think. Well, the rain is over. It's almost time. You know, we, we do it right now. As soon as it's done snowing. Yesterday, as soon as it was done, I'm out. What's going on? Let's start doing something. You know? <laughs> and, then, and then we started shoveling a little bit. 
And then I look up and say, isn't that a little bit more snow coming? So, you know, just you learn some certain kind of behavior from the Lord that don't, don't, when he starts you out, don't think this is just a little, you know, a couple of days or uh, he'll mess with you. Those are the things about God. That's that. That's the mysterious ways about Him that you don't know. Because I still think that old, um, and I'm sure there's some science behind it. But that old forty days thing, you know. All right, God, we messed up. You know, we were evil. 40 days, it should be good, but I'm sure there's a reason why I dragged out that long. I don't have that answer, but, you know, that, that's, you always know God sees everything, and he's operating on a different level than we are when it comes down to how you see things and how long it takes and all that stuff. But stuff, you know, stuff can listen, my wife, she probably think I'm crazy, but you know how the Bible says, be careful, your sin will find you out. I watch my kids all the time, and if I see them doing anything that I know I used to do, it might not even be wrong. Like, it, they might just be innocently doing it. Man, I lose my mind because I know what I used to do, and I know I was terrible. So these poor kids sometimes going through it because I'm looking, hey, what are you doing? Yeah, I know, but I'm just saying I just know how some of the ways I used to behave, and I don't want them going down that road, so I kind of lose my mind real quick. But the point is, you know, you know, I'm trying to guard against, you know, you're messed up, and you know you're going to have to pay somewhere along the way. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So you're like, Lord, please hold your hand, you know? Uh-huh. 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 Oh, yes. There's a consequence to everything. Yes, yes, yes. There's a consequence to everything. I don't care what. His, what, what he told Paul, my grace is sufficient. Right? So, you know, we can probably even try to go a little and, and dig in, just curious mind saying, there must have been something Paul did. He was trying to get God to get him off the hook. <laughs> this thorn, Lord, can you remove it? You know, we don't know if it's in the flesh. But he knew he kept asking God. And God said, my grace is sufficient. So I'm going to probably venture to say, yeah, you did something while that happened to you, Paul. And you thought because God was using you powerfully and everything is going good, he'll take it. Nope. <laughs> My grace. So it's the same thing with us. We go around serving God with limps and all kind of stuff because we think that, all right, since we're living for God, it's supposed to be better roses, everything. is No, you got to pay. And God says, but, but you'll be all right. Because when you get to heaven, that thorn won't be in your side when you get to heaven, Paul. Whoever we, whatever thorn in our side we have, it won't be there when we get to heaven. But maybe while we're here on earth, we might have to deal with it. Grace is sufficient. Any other questions? Y'all good? Yeah? All right. You good, Sister Phil? I know your question, lady. All right. <laughs> no rose. We good. <laughs> rose always had questions. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your goodness. Lord, we thank you for showing us your ways. And Lord, help us to understand that you are consistent. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
that the way you do things, Lord, are consistent. Lord, help us to understand your ways and to follow them, Lord. I pray, Father, that as we go about our ways, Lord God, we will allow what we have heard tonight to continue to permeate through our hearts and minds and that we will have wisdom in knowing how we can implement these things that we've learned in studying your word. That we are, we're able, Lord God, to know how to conduct things because we will understand how you do things and we will just mimic you, Lord. Father, I pray tonight that you will help us, that you will continue to let what we have taken in tonight, let it grow and let it become big in our life and produce fruit that you can be glorified in all of this. I pray, Lord, that every person tonight here, whatever they heard, whatever they understood, that, Lord, it will propel them and put them in a new dimension, a new plane in you, that they will grow from what they've heard, Lord God. I pray tonight that your will and your will will be done in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, I sense that you're taking us someplace. I sense that, Lord, you're putting things in us that we can take and apply to our life. I sense, Lord God, that you're doing something. I thank you for it. I thank you for what you're doing in us individually and collectively. Continue, Lord God, to lead us as we go. We just want to do your will. We want to please you. We thank you. We praise you. We honor you. And all these things we ask you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.